Hello and welcome to the Forge Church Catch-Up Podcast. We're delighted that you've chosen to press play on this podcast today. My name is Johnny and I'm part of the teaching team here at the Forge. Each Sunday, our hope and prayer is to provide practical teaching directed by God that ties into everyday life. We hope that today's talk encourages you. Throughout this series, we've been exploring how we can overcome and solve some of life's everyday challenges that we face, whether that's in our relationships, our our busyness, our parenting, or, or today we're focusing on our work life. Now, for many of us, work dominates our thinking, our energies, our time, and often our income too. Uh, And work can be paid employment, which I guess would relate to most of us watching, but work can also be volunteering or raising children or caring for family members. And there's a huge value in work, and I don't just mean financially. You see, we have been created to work. There's this sense of dignity that we have when we work, which is why long-term unemployment or extended furloughing or redundancy can be so soul-destroying. And I I recognise that some of you watching will be in that place right now. Now, not only does it affect our finances and our lifestyle, but it's also mind-numbing, having nothing to do. It's a waste of talent and crushing for motivation. But there's a guy called Callum McDonald who's part of The Forge and works in the art sector uh, doing uh, lighting for shows and concerts. He's had all of his work cancelled basically since lockdown hit in March. He hasn't had any paid work and is not likely to with this week's tightening of the lockdown rules again. That's a really tough place to be in, especially as he's self-employed. But Callum's response has been awesome and has been so helpful to us at The Forge because he's volunteered to help with our live stream every week, completely revamped the office here and, and into a studio and bought incredible creativity. And so we're so grateful to Callum for all he's done. But I wanted to highlight this publicly just so that I could say thank you, but also because he illustrates that work is part of our DNA. There's a dignity, a nobility, a sense of purpose about work, whether it's paid or not. And we've been designed to work. You know, do you know that the first thing that Adam was given to do? Well, it's found in Genesis 2. Before he names animals and meets Eve, God took the man and set him down in the Garden of Eden to work the ground and keep the order. Now, even in the Ten Commandments, the fourth commandment says, work six days and do everything you need to do. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to God, your God. In other words, work is important. So the question and challenge that I want to address today is this. How do we keep an energy and passion for the work we do? How do we prevent work just becoming a drudgery? Because unless we're careful, that's what it can become. Now, I've worked with The Forge for almost 28 years, and on the whole, I have loved it. But even working within a church context, you know, working for God, I can easily lose a sense of purpose, the element of joy, and and it just becomes a mean to an end, something that I have to do. And when I get to that place, I lose enthusiasm and passion and purpose uh, and often confidence too. And do you know what? I'm sure I'm not alone in that. See, do you remember when you started work, your your new job, having your first child or stepping away from education and training to actually getting your hands dirty? It was exciting, wasn't it? Full of potential, energizing, adrenaline driven. Now, Rob Bell, in his book, How to Be Here, calls it running on new fuel. He writes this, new fuel is a particular kind of fuel. Whatever you're doing is exciting, novel, fresh. The details sparkle and shine, but new fuel burns out quickly. 
And then something happens, something unavoidable, something that's absolutely critical that you pay attention to. You discover why you're doing this work. And when the newness wears off, you're left with the pure, undiluted slog of work. (laughs) Now, that's both brilliant and sobering. You discover why you're doing this work. In other words, you find a greater purpose in what we do. And when it comes to work, there are two approaches that we can take, two slightly different things to explore, which are life-giving and which stops work becoming a drudgery, just something to endure until retirement. The first is this, it's finding my purpose. The second is finding purpose in what I do. So let's start with finding my purpose. The Japanese have a word for what gets you out of bed in the morning. They call it ikigai. (laughs) It's good, isn't it? Your ikigai is your reason for being. It's that sense that you have when you wake up and you have important work to do, a contribution to make that's worthwhile. So when I was at school, I think I can remember a careers officer coming in to meet with, the all, uh, meet with all the year 11 students individually to talk through their career options. Now, mine didn't take very long. I lived on a farm uh, and I'd worked on the farm during school holidays. My great granddad was a farmer. My granddad was a farmer. My dad was a farmer. And so I wonder what I was going to do when I left school. <laughs> so I worked on the farm and I headed off to agricultural college to, um, uh, to learn and I quit after one term. I hated it. It just wasn't me. And back on the farm, I had this natural gifting of breaking things, but no gifting in repairs. So my assumed future wasn't looking bright. But whilst at Agricultural College, I attended an event in London that changed the course of my life. I sensed God calling me to stop farming and to get involved in short-term mission work, which is basically helping churches reach unchurched people. So I joined a team called Saltmine, and I learned so much from those three years. And I saw God do amazing things. And I came back to Suffolk, and we soon started what's now known as The Forge. I found a sense of purpose, my reason for being, my ikigai. Or should I say that God made that clear to me at that time? You know, a man called Paul was writing to a group of Christians living in Ephesus, and he says this, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. What Paul is doing is he's reminding them that they have a new purpose in life and that their faith isn't down to how good they've been. It's all down to what God has done for them. Their life has taken on a new purpose of knowing God and and living for him. And then he goes on to say this, salvation is not a reward for the good things that we've done. So no one can boast about it. And then Paul goes on to say this, and I think this is key. For we are God's masterpiece. And we've been created, shaped, designed, gifted by God, that he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. In other words, God has plans and purposes for your life, and our role is to discover those. And God gives us indicators or hints to help us discover, you know, what are we passionate about? What are we good or gifted at? What do we love doing? What does the world around me need? And what causes an angst in me that drives me to make, want to make a difference? Sometimes the negative can shape our purpose. And answering those questions gives hints and indicators towards the good things that he has planned for us to do. 
And sometimes God speaks through an experience or a person or even a talk like this where we can get a sense of calling. And our purpose can change and we can have more than one purpose. We're not to get too tightly bound up on trying to find that one thing. But for some of us, our work will reflect our purpose. You know, this is why I'm here. I'm in my sweet spot. But when we lose that sense of purpose, our work becomes just a job. It's not a passion. So let me ask you a couple of big questions. Do you recognise a sense of God's purpose in your life? You know, the good things that he has planned for you to do. And if not, are you willing to go on a journey of discovery to find out? I tell you, it is so worthwhile. And if you do know your purpose, how strongly is that purpose attached to your job? You know, for lots of us, our purpose and passion isn't our job. You know, stacking shelves, working in a care home, cleaning offices, working in insurance, you know, running a building company isn't necessarily our calling. And do you know what? That's okay because our work can be the means to enable us to do the things that we love doing and are passionate about outside of our work. To give you an example, Oliver Westmancott, one of the elders here at the Forge, he sensed God was stirring something in him while he listened to George Snyman speak and share stories of orphaned children finding love and hope through the work of Hands at Work out in Africa. Now, Oliver didn't give up his job and move his whole family to Africa, but he traveled out to visit and he and his family got involved in a short-term trip. And now he works on the board of Hands UK. In other words, his other work has enabled this to happen. And maybe you need to find ways to live your passion outside of your work, to volunteer with humanitarian or justice agencies, to serve the local community or the local church through investing your skills and insights to benefit the lives of other people. So coming back to the original question, how do we keep an energy and a passion for the work we do? Especially when those jobs aren't fulfilling our kind of purposes in life or they're not our calling or our vocation. Well, if it's not about finding purpose, then it's about finding purpose in what I do. Now, Sarah, my wife, is a teacher at a local primary school working two, three days a week, and she loves it. But teaching is not her reason for living. You see, when I asked her why she loved her job, her answer wasn't what I expected. I thought it would be seeing children develop in their learning or teaching in fun ways. But she replied, it's all about promoting everyone's well-being. As well as caring for the children, she wants to make volunteers feel valued, parents welcomed and staff feeling supported. So occasionally she goes into work for free when teachers are feeling stressed just to help out and help them catch up. She takes in biscuits. Now, none of that's to do with teaching, but she does it because of her faith. That's what motivates her, that Christians can make things better for those around them. And at the very least, she's wanting to show Christians are not just judgmental weirdos. And at best, she's hopefully drawing people towards God. Now, we can find purpose and joy in what we do through serving those that we work with. But we can also find purpose and joy in the job itself. You know, we say it often, but so much of life comes down to perspective and attitude. A job may be really menial and repetitive and one person finds joy in it and the other one hates it. Why? Well, it's down to how the job is viewed and the attitude we have. I'm just a cleaner or I clean to make the home or work environment a good space for others to work in. 
Now, one view is limited in its outlook. The other is more inspirational. I'm just a farmer or I help feed the nation. I'm just an accountant or actually that's a really hard one to find. No, not really. I work with numbers that help tell a story that shapes how a company can move forward. We find value in what we do when we can answer the why behind what we do. Jim Collins wrote in one of his books about Disney. He says they don't have staff, but they have cast members. And when they're working, then they're either on stage and when they're not working, they're off stage. And they understand the mission of Disney so well that it should be the happiest place on earth. So if you approach a cast member who's picking up rubbish or cooking burgers or handing out tickets and ask them what their job is, their reply is, my role is to help people be happy who come to Disneyland. In other words, they see their role bigger than just their task. And I love that. So what do you do? What's the best way to describe your role? Paul writes these words. He says, pay careful attention to your own work. In other words, understand the why behind what you do and know the value that you bring so that you can work with passion and energy. And then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done. And you don't need to compare yourself to anyone else. Paul writes to another group of Christians in a place called Colossae and he, and he includes those who are slaves. That's part of the culture of that time. And he writes this, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching you. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear for the Lord. So your work, your attitude towards it is an outward expression of faith, Paul is saying. And he says, if that's hard to do, he goes on and says this, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. In other words, you can also work with an audience of one in mind that I work to serve God. Now, for some of you watching this morning, this, this may be hard because your life feels a bit aimless and, and lacks a sense of purpose. And maybe it's been like that for a while and inside you've, you know you're here for a reason, but you just don't know why and work doesn't answer it. Then can I share very quickly what I've discovered? Do you know, I've discovered that there is a God who really exists, who has made you, who loves you and who has made you with an ultimate purpose in mind. And that's for you to know him and have a relationship with him and then to serve others and make a difference through him. You know, purpose and relationship is closely linked because relationships provide purpose. And God wants a relationship with you. He's done everything needed so you don't have to earn your way or work your way into being in his good books. Jesus died to deal with the mess and failure, to forgive you. And he rose again to show that there's hope and life and purpose, that death isn't the end. And he calls you to trust him and to trust him with your life and your work situations and your worries and fears and your family. And he invites you to become his child and to pick up life's ultimate purpose, which is to love God and to love others. And God, well, God is making all this available to you if you'll choose to accept it, just as I did many years ago. And this message today, you see, isn't self-help. It's offering God's help, his presence and forgiveness and love and value and purpose. So how about it? Why don't you join me in a simple prayer to begin that relationship with your heavenly father? Come on, let's pray.
Father God, my life has lacked a sense of purpose for many years and I've tried to find it in work or in other relationships, but it just hasn't worked out as I'd hoped. And so today I come to you asking that you'll accept me, not based on what I've done, but on what Jesus has done for me. Thank you, Jesus, that you've made me, that you love me, that you forgive me. Please come into my life by your Holy Spirit to fill me with your presence and your power and to ignite a God-given purpose within me. Please help me to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer, drop the prayer, um, prayer hands emoji in the comments section or contact us at info at forgechurch.com as we'd love to get in touch with you and support you as you take your first steps in following Jesus. Thank you. That's all for this week. Thanks once again for joining us. We'd love to keep the conversation going, so why not check out Forge Church UK on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram? Or go online at forgechurch.com where you can watch other content find a next step, give financially, or see any details of what's currently going on in and around the floor. We're looking forward to you joining us next time.